When I look back at my own life, I'm very thankful for the people along the way that have made a big difference in my life. My guess is if you just took a few minutes to think about your own life, you could think of a person or two or three or maybe a whole bunch of people that at one point or another along the way they've made a big difference in your life. Maybe it was a family member, a parent, a grandparent, maybe it was a coworker, maybe a friend, somebody who came along at the right time in the right place, they gave you something that you needed, they pointed you in the right direction, they helped you through a difficult time, they did something to make a real difference in your life. I'm thankful for the difference makers in my life. I don't know about you. And here in this passage, we're going to see two people, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, as God used them in a powerful way to make a difference in the life of Apollos. I want to encourage you this morning to be a difference maker as well. I want you to listen this morning and learn what it means to be a difference maker and some of the benefits and wonderful things and also some of the challenges of being a difference maker. Because we live in a world today that sometimes would say, you know what, just, just back up, go easy, let everybody do whatever they're going to do. Don't get involved in anybody else's life because it's going to be too difficult. You can't really make a difference in anybody's life. I mean, who are you? Look at your problems. What do you know? Who are you to tell somebody what? Th those are all things that roll around in our heads a lot. But I'm thankful that that's not how Aquila and Priscilla lived. Let's look beginning in verse number 24, and we'll just start out by reading two verses, 24 and 25, as we are introduced to this man named Apollos. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Alexandria, by the way, that's a city in North Africa. So kind of picture who this guy is. He's from North Africa, Alexandria, and he is an eloquent man. He's well-spoken. He's mighty in the Scriptures. He had been trained as a Jewish man in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament ways. And it says, this man came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. All the way up to this point, we think, man, Apollos is a great guy. But there's a problem with Apollos. Look at the last line of verse 25. It says, knowing only the baptism of John knowing only the baptism of John. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point I have for you is the Apollos problem. He has a problem. His problem was not an ability problem. He had great ability. He's eloquent. He's a great speaker. His problem was not an educational problem. He had been trained in the Scriptures as a Jewish man. His problem was not a lack of desire. Apollos had lots of desire. The scripture here tells us he was fervent. That means he had lots of energy. He was very focused. He was very passionate about what he was doing. No, Apollos' problem was not any of these things. His problem was that he was deficient in his doctrine. He was missing some important truth. And it's referenced here at the end of verse 25 when it says he knew only 
the baptism of John. What does this mean? Well, probably this is telling us that he didn't understand the baptism of Jesus Christ, which included the reception of the Holy Spirit. Apollos was close. He was a pretty good guy. He was a talented man. But he didn't truly understand the gospel. You see, we can get a little more understanding of this if you look over in chapter 19. Because Paul comes back to Ephesus. So Apollos at the point in chapter 18, is in Ephesus. He's come to Ephesus. But later, at the end of chapter 18, he leaves Ephesus and goes to Corinth. Paul comes to Ephesus, and when Paul gets to Ephesus, he meets some people who were there, and it says in verse 2, he says, He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What's wrong with these guys? Well, most likely, they had heard from Apollos. They had heard this teaching of the baptism of John. Why? He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? Look at the end of verse 3. And they said, Unto John's baptism. Verse 4, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. Remember John the Baptist? He said that the people needed to repent. And to be baptized, he said, yes, he, he gave them the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. See, some of these folks, as the scriptures are not yet all written down, people are hearing stories passed down. You heard about this guy, John the Baptist? He, he wore camel's hair and he ate locusts and, and wild honey, he lived out in the wilderness, kind of a wild man. He was a, he was a preacher. He was a dissident. He went against the Romans. Man, they even chopped his head off. Man, what a good guy. He, he stood up for us and, and he was a good Jewish man. And so some of the Jews, yeah, and he baptized people. So we're, we're baptizing in the name of John. But they missed the point. And Paul is clarifying it for him. He says, the baptism of John was looking towards something else. Did you see it there in chapter 19? The end of verse 4, that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. So yes, John was baptizing, but he was pointing people towards Jesus Christ, not towards himself. But Apollos and some of these other people had missed that point. And so they're like, well, John baptized, so we're going to baptize. And so we're doing the baptism of John. But they didn't understand salvation wasn't through baptism. Salvation is through Jesus Christ, the one that baptism points to, right? And for us today, if you're a believer, if you've grown up in a church and if you've heard the word of God, you say, well, of course that makes sense. But you got to put yourself in the shoes of these people who didn't have the word of God. They hadn't read all these things. They didn't understand Paul makes sure to make this point very clear over in the book of Romans chapter 6. If you can, turn over there quickly. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul's writing and he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, we had some baptisms last Sunday, and I stood over here in the baptistry, and we talked to the people that were being baptized, and I said, are you believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. I didn't say, are you believing in John the Baptist? Why? Because John the Baptist can't save you. Jesus Christ can save you. I didn't say, are you joining our church? No, because joining our church won't save you. It's Jesus Christ, right? And then you might have seen me raise my hand. You might have just thought this was just weird preacher stuff that preachers do. But I raised my, my hand and I said, I baptize you. You know what I say next? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then I say, buried with Him in baptism and then raised to walk in newness of life. Now, that's not just cool preacher language that you have to memorize in order to baptize people. All that is is quoting from Romans chapter 6. And it's not just repeating words just to say fancy words. Rather, it's trying to help us to understand that when you're baptized, you are identifying with Jesus Christ, with His death and His burial, just like when you go under the water, that's why we stick you under the water. And then we bring you, it's a good thing we don't leave you there, right? We raise to walk in newness of life. We bring you back out of the water. And that is a picture of just like Jesus Christ rose again, so too you are identifying with His resurrection. Go back to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 5, he says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness, this is really good, of his resurrection. You're identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but it's pointing here, this isn't just, hey, he got up and walked again. This means he's talking about eternal life. You say, how do I know this? Look at verse 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. So I had to get up on the cross? No, but your sin was on the cross. Jesus took your sin upon himself. And when he died for your sin, he paid for your sin. He didn't have to pay for his because he didn't have any. When Jesus died, he was paying for your sin and for my sin, for the sins of this world. He says that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's a great message. Because here's the reality. Even if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you still sin. So some people, because they still sin, they say, well then... Maybe I didn't trust in Jesus, because if I trust in Jesus, I shouldn't be sinning. No, but the Bible's very clear when it says that we still have a flesh. And so God makes a way. He said in His Word very clearly, if you will confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some people, after they've trusted in Christ, they mess up. They, mis have a sin. they sin. They do wrong. They say, what do I do about this? You go right back to God and confess your sin just like you did the first time. Say, but I've messed up in this area a lot of times. 
then ask forgiveness a lot of times. The scripture says a just man falleth seven times and yet rises up again. Your problem is only if you stay in your sin. The right response is to confess it to the Lord. Once again, this is not talking about being saved over and over again, but rather to renew that relationship with the Lord so that your sin is once again under the blood as it always was in the first place. And you're just refreshing that relationship with the Lord. He says in verse 8 of Romans 6, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Say, man, I've still messed up a lot. Well, the good news is, if your sin is dead with Christ, then you are alive with Him and you can look forward to eternal life with Him forever. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. So if death has no dominion over Christ, then death has no dominion over you. That's good news. Because over the last two years, people have been afraid of what? Death. They're not afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of dying. Because we're afraid of getting sick. We wouldn't eat some of the things that we eat. We wouldn't go some of the places we go. People aren't afraid of being sick. They're afraid of dying. As a believer, you don't have to be afraid of death because death doesn't have any more dominion over you. You say, yes, they can kill the body. Yeah. But this body is not my eternal home. Heaven is. Some people say, well, I'd be afraid to speak out for Christ because of what they might. Listen, your, your home's in heaven. He says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So Paul gives a really big explanation about baptism and about Jesus Christ and about salvation through Christ alone. And so Paul has this discussion with the people in Ephesus. But I gave you all that to help you understand Apollos' problem. Let's go back. Look again at the end of verse 25. We see Apollos' problem. He knew only the baptism of John. He's talented. He's educated. He's excited. But he's leading people astray. If you met Apollos, you say he's a good guy. He's just confused. He doesn't really know the right way. And people like that can be, we don't know how to approach them sometimes. But I'm thankful that Aquila and Priscilla were difference makers for him. So we see the Apollos problem, we have the Aquila and Priscilla solution. The solution. Let's look just at one verse here now. Verse number 26. Verse 26, and he began to speak boldly. This is Apollos, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue. Think about which synagogue this is. We're back in Cor we're, we're in Ephesus here. We're in Ephesus. Quill and Priscilla are with him there. Paul had left them behind. Apollos gets to Ephesus. He's boldly speaking in the synagogue. But notice it says, When Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Aquila and Priscilla made a tremendous difference in Apollos' life 
I think you can see here, there's at least three elements to what they did. First of all, they listened carefully to Apollos' teaching. When he spoke boldly in the synagogue, then when they had heard, they listened to him. You ever heard somebody that was speaking something that wasn't right? And you said, I don't care. I don't even want to pay attention to him at all. Now, this is not saying that you should follow after false teachers and try to emulate and do what they're saying. But if you're going to make a difference in somebody's life, you have to take time to actually listen to them and know where they're coming from. You have to understand what their problem even is. How many times do you see somebody and you prejudge what their problem is? A lot of us are guilty of that. Oh, I can tell what their problem is. I'll tell you right now what their problem is. And you don't really know what their problem is. You just think you know what their problem is. Or we see other people, I don't even want to know what their problem is. It's too bad. I just don't even want to mess with that. That's a normal response as well. Not the right response, but a normal response. Aquila and Priscilla didn't look at Apollos as a problem. They looked at him as an opportunity. You see people doing whatever they're doing. Oh, what a problem. They're a problem. They're a problem. They're a problem. Yes, we're all a problem. We get it. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't look at us as problems? He looks at us as opportunities. The Scripture says in John 3.16, Probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God looked at this world and He loved it. If you're going to see people as opportunities and not as problems, it's going to require that you love them. They took time to listen. They heard what Apollos had to say. I wonder how many times we're in so much of a hurry doing whatever we have to do that we don't have time for anybody else because that would mean sitting down long enough to listen. We can all be guilty of it. Someone comes in the office to, hey, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I have this. Hang on, let me tell you what your problem is. That's not going to help anybody. I have to listen. Hey, parents, means you got to listen to your children. I can fix this right now. Husbands, yeah, you have to listen to your wife. I'm going to fix her problem. You probably don't even know what it is. I think you do. You have to listen. How are you going to help a neighbor? How are you going to help a coworker? How are you going to? It takes some time to listen to even understand what the problem is. And I think we see that example in Aquila and Priscilla. Not only did they listen carefully to Apollos' teaching, but they cared deeply enough to take him aside. Notice the next phrase in verse 25. I'm sorry, verse number 26. It says, after they'd heard, they took him unto them. That literally means they took him aside. Because, right, you might see some people with a problem. You're like, let me tell you what your problem is right now. You're not helping anybody when you do that, are you? But what if you actually spent enough time to hear what somebody's problem was and, and instead of letting them know in front of everybody else, you said, hey, come here. 
don't you come over to the house for lunch today? Hey, can we go out for coffee? Hey, maybe it's one of your kids at home. Come in my room. It's a lot easier for people to yell at people and tell them what their problem is. Well, let me fix you right now. I'm going to do it in front of everybody else to embarrass you and make myself look better. No, Quill and Priscilla, don't do that. They took him aside. They said, come over here. Come over here. Quill and Priscilla are difference makers. They listen carefully. They care deeply about him. They weren't just interested in fixing the problem. They cared about Apollos. Because they could have just stood up and said, all right, you all heard what Apollos just said. Now let us tell you the right way. But do you think maybe they understood, hey, Apollos, he's a great speaker. He's eloquent. He's very smart. He's very well educated. Instead of trying to argue with him publicly, let's take him aside and maybe try to help him see the truth privately. They cared deeply. And I think we can see thirdly, they took time to completely explain the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Look at the end of verse 26. They expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now you might ask the question, how long did this take? And I would answer, as long as was necessary. How long does it take to teach somebody the truth? Five minutes? Five hours, five days, five months, five years, 50 years. Are they worth it? Is a soul worth it? Is a life worth it? Is your life worth saving? Then theirs is too. Theirs is too. But as we look at how they made a difference in his life, I want us to look at the other side of the equation, the flip side of the coin, if you will, and see that there are some practical challenges to being difference makers like Aquila and Priscilla were. What are some of those practical challenges? Well, there's the challenge of understanding. Because if you're going to hear and actually hear what their problem is, you actually have to be able to understand what the problem is. And especially when it comes to biblical things, the average Christian has so little understanding, I don't, I don't even know what the answer is. They might ask a question I don't have the answer to. I don't know how to help them. I don't really know the truth. Let me call Pastor Will on the phone, see if he can help. Isn't it interesting? Aquila and Priscilla couldn't pick up the phone and call Paul. That, that tells me that Paul had spent enough time with Aquila and Priscilla that they knew the answers. They understood the Scripture. They knew the truth so that they could go, not toe-to-toe in an argumentative sense, but they could sit down with a very well-educated, very eloquent man and explain the truth to him, and he actually understood what they were teaching him. They taught the teacher. They instructed the preacher. It's not because necessarily that they were better preachers or more eloquent than him, because the Bible talks about his eloquence, not theirs. But it does tell me from how they've approached this, even just from these few phrases, that they clearly cared about Apollos. They loved him. They loved his soul. They cared about his eternal destination. They cared about what he was doing. He wasn't just a problem. He was an opportunity. 
I wonder if we see, when we see people out in society, do you see them as problems or opportunities? Our world is very set up. The machine that is running in our world system right now is to turn people against each other. Class warfare, racial division, differences of opinion about immorality or what is morality and what is a preference and what is right and what is wrong. It's all about you have your opinion, I have mine. We go different directions. We're opposed to each other. So there's a great challenge of understanding. But I would challenge you with this because the Scripture over and over tells us as believers that we are to know the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul wrote, I believe, to Titus, right? And he said, Titus, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you're going to be an effective difference maker in somebody's life, you have to be willing to study and to learn and to know the truth yourself so that you can help somebody else with it. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, the things that you've been encouraged by the same thing, you can use that to then encourage others with it. Don't be content as a Christian to just go along with sort of this basic level of understanding without being willing to really learn and to study and to sit with somebody else as we try to do very intentionally in our church and study Scripture with some. I don't need that. Yes, you do. I need it too. Here's the thing I find. This is the fun thing. Even when I'm taking our continue book, this basic scriptural teaching book, and teach people through the basics of the faith, every single time I do it, I learn something myself. And some of you have done that. You know that to be true. And yet there are some of us that say, well, I don't need that. I already know. Okay, then take it and share it with somebody else then. And guess what? You still have things to learn. So do I. Every time I read through the Scriptures, I learn new things. Every time I teach something to somebody else, God teaches me something. I feel like as a pastor having to study and preach multiple times a week, I'm in a constant state of learning new things. And it's really fun. And no, you may not get paid to study as much as I do, but you can still study and learn things too. And one of the best ways to learn is to teach it to somebody else. Can you imagine Aquila and Priscilla? They've got Apollos sitting there. Man, Apollos is smart. He knows his stuff. And he starts asking questions. They're like, oh man, we better study. I can imagine during the week when Apollos isn't with them, they're like reading and reading and, and thinking and thinking and getting with the other believers there in Ephesus and say, okay, how do we answer this question? Apollos had a really tough question. Okay, what are we going to do? Why? Because they're growing. Apollos is growing. There's the challenge of understanding. I think another practical challenge is the challenge of caring. If you don't care about other people, you'll never make a difference in their life. So here's a good question to consider. How do you love a stranger? How do you love somebody you don't know? How do you do it? One of the ways I try to do it is put myself in their shoes. I may not fully know their situation, 
But I look at my life, and I'm thankful for the blessings God's given me. And I think, you know, if I hadn't had all the blessings I had, perhaps I'd be in even a worse situation than they are. How do you love a stranger? I think another way you love a stranger is to remember God loves them as much as He loves you. And if God loved that person as much as He loves me, then maybe I ought to love them too. You say, but they've... And they, they smell a lot worse than I do. God, God, God's not worried about that. Well, they've done some really bad things. Oh, wait, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They've done more bad things than me. This is another tough one. This isn't a stranger that we have to love. It's those that have done bad things to me. Hmm. How do you love somebody who's done bad things to you? Have you ever sinned against God? Does He still love you? So how does God love you? Well, He's God. Well, do you think you can ask God for strength to love others then as He loved you? Yeah. God, help me to forgive. Help me to love. There's the challenge of caring. There's the challenge of fear. Boy, you get involved in somebody's life. You don't know what they're going to do. You know what they're going to say. You don't know what you just signed up for. The challenge of fear. There's another wonderful story of a difference maker. There's a lot of them in Scripture, but one of my favorites is the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's this man beaten up on the side of the road, left for dead. They took his money, and uh, he, he, he's this... Samaritan man beat up on the side of the road. The first guy to come by is what? A priest. He passes by on the other side. He, he wasn't interested in making a difference in that man's life. We don't know what was in his mind. Maybe he thought, well, I can't do it. Or I'm not the person to do it. Maybe someone else can do it. If I touched him, I'd be unclean. I have somewhere more important to be. We don't know what went through his mind, but whatever went through his mind, he passed by on the other side. Then comes the Levite. He goes over and looks at the guy, and then he passes by on the other side. We don't know what was going through his mind either. Well, that's interesting. Ooh, that's bad. Uh, I don't think I can help him. I don't, I, I don't know medicine. I, I don't have anything to bind up his wounds with. I, I don't have any way to carry him. I don't have any way to transport. I, we can make a lot of excuses. But who came by last? This Samaritan. And he stops and he gets down. And the Bible tells us he binds up his wounds. I wonder what he bound up his wounds with. You think maybe he had to tear off the hem of his own cloak to have something to wrap up his wounds with? Do you think maybe he had, to, he had to put oil on his wounds? Do you think maybe he had to go into his own stash of stuff that he had saved for himself to help minister to that man's wounds? Probably so. Then he takes him to the hotel, to the little room, not a hotel, just a little space, and, and he says, here, I'm going to pay for this man so that you can care for him. And oh, by the way, when I come back, I'll pay anything extra that he owes. A stranger on the side of the road. And Jesus uses this example of a man that made the difference in somebody else's life.
there's the challenge of fear. Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he said in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know, when you're about to get involved in someone else's life, or when you're trying to take a stand to do something right, it's easy to go along with the crowd. When your friends are saying bad things, or when the bad joke's being told, and, or when somebody's in need, or there's some struggle around you, when you're about to get involved in that situation and do the right thing, what's the first thing that often happens? We get scared. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What are people going to think? So Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's going to give you strength. He's going to give you love. And he's going to give you the ability to think. I like that sound mind one, because I don't know about you. You get in a situation, I'm going to get so nervous, I'm not going to know what to do. No, God's going to give you a sound mind. Sound mind. There's the challenge of understanding, the challenge of caring, the challenge of fear. We could probably come up with more. Let me just give you one more. There's the challenge of time. And if I get involved in this person's life, how much time is that going to take? The only limitless person in this room is God. All the rest of us have a limit. So you cannot spend time with everybody. You can't minister to every single person in the whole world by yourself. But you can minister to somebody. Right? And if you don't have time for anybody, then I think you need to reevaluate where you're spending your time. Chances are a lot of it's on me time. It's not wrong to rest. It's not wrong to take care of your own personal needs. You have to eat, you gotta sleep. It's good to take a bath once in a while, shower, whatever your choice. But if you have no time for people, it probably goes back to one of these other things. You're afraid, you don't have love, or you don't have understanding. Time. How much time did Aquila and Priscilla spend with Apollos? As much as was needed. As much as was needed. So let me finish up this morning. The last two verses of chapter 18. So I want you to see the believers who were helped. Saw the Apollos problem, the Aquila and Priscilla solution. What about these believers who got help? Got help. What was the result of Aquila and Priscilla seeing Apollos as an opportunity, not a problem. Verse 27, Then when he, this is Apollos now, was disposed to pass into Achaia, this is the region where the city of Corinth was located. He's traveling from Ephesus back to Corinth, the place where Quill and Priscilla used to live. The brethren wrote, this is the brethren, the believers in Ephesus. They wrote a letter exhorting the disciples to receive him who when he was come, he helped them much which had believed through grace for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. There's at least three groups of people here. There's the brethren in Ephesus and they were encouraged. Here's this guy, Apollos. He's talented. He's fervent. He's well-educated. 
He's now preaching the gospel. And the believers in Ephesus are so encouraged, they sit down and write a letter and say, yeah, Apollos is our guy. Now he's a good guy. He's going the right direction. You ought to receive him well. They got encouraged there in Ephesus. What about the believers in Corinth, the brethren in Corinth, where he came to? It says, when he was come, he helped them much, which had believed through, through grace. The brethren in Achaia and Corinth were equipped. Apollos came in and Man, he's, he's well-educated. Remember Paul had to leave Corinth? Paul's well-educated, wasn't he? Some Bible scholars, when you study them out, say Paul and Apollos were probably almost equals as to their religious education and their understanding of the Scriptures. Paul had all that education and he wasn't serving God until God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. Apollos had all that education and he's not serving God until Aquila and Priscilla pull him aside and say, let us teach you the truth. And now God sends Apollos back to the same city where Paul just had to leave from. And he's there to help teach and to equip and to instruct the believers in Corinth. Isn't this amazing how God did this? As he was moving Paul out, he was moving Apollos in. But what happened in the, in the middle of that? Aquila and Priscilla. Paul hadn't even met Apollos at this point. But Paul administered to Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla administered to Apollos. And now Apollos is back ministering to the people that Paul started to minister to all this time before. Isn't this incredible? That tells me that if you will make a difference in somebody's life, God can use that to make a difference in someone else's life, even beyond that, and beyond it just keeps on going. And it grows and grows. Kind of sounds like what the Great Commission is supposed to look like, doesn't it? To reach to the uttermost part of the earth so that every person could hear, so that some from every tribe and nation and tongue, you might think from where you sit, there's no way I could have an impact on so-and-so or that person way over there but you can have an impact on the person right next to you. You can make a difference in somebody's life. The brethren in Ephesus were encouraged. The brethren in Achaia and Corinth were equipped. And we see in verse 28, the Jews in Corinth were evangelized. Hang on, who are these Jews? These are the same ones that just dragged Paul in front of Galileo. It's the same ones that Paul left behind in the synagogue and says, your blood be upon your own heads. And those Jews, they're always a problem. God never saw them as a problem. God loved the Jewish people. They're His chosen people. And He kept sending people to reach the Jews with the gospel. Aren't you thankful that God hasn't given up on you? Some of us didn't listen to the first person that came along, but God sent somebody else. And he sent somebody else, and he sent somebody else. And what's happening with these Jews now? They were convinced. Maybe Apollos was a better speaker than Paul. More eloquent. Whatever it was, he was God's man for those people at that time. It kind of works like this in a church. God might allow me to minister to Matt and Marie because they're real close to me. They sit down front. They come by during the week. 
But there might be some of you I don't have as much direct influence on as I do Matt and Marie, but Matt and Marie might have direct influence on you because of where you live or because of what you do. I might spend time with Abe and Linda and their family, and then they might spend it with you. It goes multiple directions. Do you understand? I don't know Matt and Marie's neighbors, but they do. I don't know your coworkers, but you do. See, if we'll make a difference in the people that God's put in our path, we never know where God's going to take it and what God's going to do. These Jews were convinced. And it says that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Apollos had this unique ability to be able to get up and publicly proclaim Christ in a way that was convincing and people understood and they agreed and they said, this is right. Man, he's a unique, gifted guy. But if it hadn't been for Quill and Priscilla, where would he have been? The believers who were helped. I want to ask you this morning, if you're here, first of all, do you know Jesus? Apollos started out, he, he, he didn't have it quite clear, and so Quill and Priscilla had to help correct him on that, show him the way. Do you know the way? Jesus is the way. But if you're here this morning and you know the way, who are you showing the way to? Aquila and Priscilla knew the way, and so they showed Apollos the way. And then Apollos went and showed a bunch of other people the way. Who are you showing the way to? And if you're not showing people the way to Christ, what's stopping you? Is there an issue of Bitterness or unforgiveness, a lack of love in your heart? Is there a lack of understanding? I'm just, just not sure I have the right answers. Is there fear keeping you from showing others the way, making a difference in their life? Is it just, I don't have time, I've got my priorities out of whack? What's stopping you? If there's something stopping you, then this morning as our service is finishing the preaching time, I want to invite you to confess that to God and say, Lord, here I am once again. I need your help. Lord, I've, maybe you've come to Him before on this same issue. God, forgive me and strengthen me and help me. So I would ask you to make a commitment to Him. And then, if you're really serious about your commitment, I would invite you to communicate that commitment to me in some way. You can tell me after church. You can write it on a little communication card, connect card, and put it in the plate, and I'll look at it, I'll read it, pray it, and I'll figure out how to connect with you so that we can help you in that process, whatever it is. So what are you going to do? Will you make a difference in somebody's life today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth, for your word. It's so clear. Lord, forgive us when we live selfish, self-absorbed, self-focused lives, caught up with our own pleasures and sin, and we demonstrate that we aren't truly grateful to You for all the blessings and, 
and the gift of salvation that you've given to us. Lord, forgive us for not loving those around us. Lord, I believe you want to use each person here to make a difference in the life of someone else. It's not always glamorous. Aquila and Priscilla, if they weren't recorded for us here in Scripture, we wouldn't even know their names. Lord, it's not about our glory, it's about yours. And it's about the souls of men and women and boys and girls who need to know Jesus so that they can have eternal life. Help us to not be stingy with the gift that you've given to us, but may we give it to others to show them the way. We love you. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The piano is going to play. If you're able, I would invite you to come and to pray, to commit it to the Lord. Maybe you need to confess something before you commit something. Would you come? Would you pray? Would you get serious with God? How do you love a stranger? Understand that God loves them. How do you love an enemy? Forgive them because God has forgiven you. How do you make a difference in somebody's life? You've got to listen and understand. You have to love them. And you have to be willing to commit the time so that God can do His work to transform their life. What does God want you to do? Do it now. Obey Him. Don't, don't let what someone else does or doesn't do keep you from doing what God wants you to do. He made a way. He made a difference in your life. Will you serve Him faithfully? You come.